Hi guys, this is John McGann from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland and I'm here with my co-host Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain. Together we've created the podcast Control the Coronables, which includes some of the top players from around the world. Our objective is very simple. We want to be able to educate, entertain and energize the tennis community during this very difficult period that we're all going through. Hope you enjoy our next podcast. Welcome to episode 15 of Control the Coronables. Today we have Will Herbert. Will was a good tennis player himself, played professional tennis, played university tennis, and is now Kyle Edmonds' physio. He's also worked with both the Zverev brothers, Anna Ivanovich, to name a few. He's got a great story to tell. Listen out for a fantastic Ivan Lendl story when he was working with Zverev and enjoy the show. Uh, Will, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on Control the Coronables, the podcast. It's been a while since I've seen you. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. Yeah, good. Surviving. Surviving. Any more home homeschooling, I'll uh, lose my mind. But apart from that, I'm good. Brilliant, man. Uh, just for the listeners listening in, uh, we've got Will Herbert here. He's the ATP uh, physio for Kyle uh, Edmund. Um, and just a little bit of a profile on, on Will. Obviously, a, an excellent tennis player. Um, I, I would have seen Will playing many a university match uh, for Loughborough University. That's correct, um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, had an ATP singles ranking of 1198. Is that um, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> dizzy. I'm dizzy. <laughs> a, 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 ver, a very, very uh, good junior career. And I think as I was saying to you earlier on, uh, my last memory of seeing you, Will, was actually competing against the best ever player that we've ever produced in Ireland, which is Connor Nyland. And you took a win with, with Connor the last time I saw you. That was a while ago, though. But it's, uh, it's an absolute uh, pleasure to have you on here with us today. And I'm really looking forward to getting inside of what you do and, um, and yeah, be, pleasure. be great for the listeners as well. Yeah, it'd be nice to catch up with you guys as well. No, Will, and, th- and thanks for coming in. And I suppose to, to start <clears> us off, I think it's hard. You've already mentioned the homeschooling. I have, I have one rule. This is my getaway from homeschooling and the craziness of, of homeschooling during this time. Yeah. So it, it gives me shivers and, and, and thinking about it. So we can't talk about that anymore. But how are you finding this crazy time? Mixed bag, mixed bag. Um, yeah. I'm loving being at home with the kids because yeah. obviously the job we do, we're often away. Yeah. So that's been lovely, getting up in the morning with them and just, just being around them is great, but there are moments because yeah. I got I got three girls, so trying to homeschool three of them, yeah. all different ages, um, keep them focused. In terms of in terms of what you do, I guess what what's been fascinating speaking to everyone is finding out, you know, all of the the different all of these different careers that people are in, and you as a physiotherapist, is there yeah. anything you've been able to do work wise? Anything remote that you've been able to do? Um, it's actually proven difficult, uh, partly because of the nature of the work I do. So obviously I'm traveling a lot yeah. with, uh, Kyle, 
And so I've kind of put most of my eggs in that basket. Yeah. So my stuff I do in London when I'm home is quite limited. Yeah. Partly through uh, through choice because I want to be home with the kids. Yeah. But also it's quite hard to maintain when you're traveling a lot. Yeah. So if I had been working in a practice full time in London, I think now I'd be able to offer more sort of online stuff. Yeah. And consultations online, but that's not realistic at the moment because of obviously keeping contact with Kyle. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, I would imagine there's still lots that, that he's able to, to crack on with yeah. during this time as well, you know? There's loads, yeah. He's got his programs, he's got his exercises. So he's busy, yeah. But based on government guidelines. What's your, what's your thoughts on how long this is going to go on? I mean, you could almost write 2020 off in that respect because I'm not sure when they're going to allow it. <clears throat> yeah, and I think the thing with it is as well, you 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 can't just have a tournament starting. It has to be, it's almost all on offer, isn't it? The way that the yeah, the way that the to... set up, unless everyone's free to roam the world <laughs> again, <laughs> you can't really start any events. You yeah. know, it's interesting and time, then, and you can't take away the fact that a lot of businesses will be suffering. So, will the sponsors be there? Yeah, <laughs> without being too. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, in terms of me being able to get out and work again, I'm reasonably optimistic. But in terms of doing the job I love, which is going away with Kyle and being on the tour, yeah, I'm not sure when that'll be. Yeah. No, I think there's a there's a we touched on it before we we started the podcast. There's a there's a real real side about all of this as well. You know what I mean? Mm. Everyone. Everyone, we under the carpet, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but well, it is. It is, and I think the the thing that I've actually, I think I've been well aware of it, and it's it's definitely in the back of my mind. Almost the the most difficult time I think for a lot of businesses is going to be when they can start up again in some ways, because yeah. because I think once they start up, the expenses start up, and, well, and yeah, you're probably not in a position to then bring the income in immediately you know so i think there's so, yeah no a lot of restaurants are saying they're not going to open until they know everyone's going to be coming out because it'll be more expensive to be open absolutely. than stay shut absolutely so to go through you obviously it's a uh, tennis being this amazing vehicle that takes us in lots of ways me and you go back a long time will yourself and john do you know this is Tennis is, I guess, the the thing that connects us all together. You know, yeah. hitting a fluffy thing over the net when we were younger and not quite sure where it was going to take us. It's, you know, taking all of us. Some unreal, in hindsight, some unrealistic expectations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with, with our tennis playing, but you've certainly you've certainly used it to good effect in in other ways. You know, yeah. There's 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 definitely been a strategy. <laughs> yeah. That's how, that's, that was always in mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how did and the playing? How did the playing start? My what? As a at the beginning. Let's start from you as a player. Wow. Um, I started quite late. I moved house when I was nine, and did a summer camp at Parliament Hill Tennis, at Parliament Hill Fields Tennis Courts, and I loved it and. The coaches obviously 
thought I was okay, so I started having lessons, and then it kind of snowballed. Yeah. A few tournaments, not many games won, and then just cracked on, and eventually, I guess, the first time I felt like I was okay was at the under-14 Nationals, where yeah. I made made the quarters. Okay. And then you sort of do that, people take a bit of notice, and you keep going. <laughs> yeah. So that's when it started. Yeah. And where did your tennis playing take you? So the people listening in, obviously you've you've making <clears throat> a career of yourself as a physiotherapist, but you were also I know you'll downplay it, but you were a very very good level tennis player. So what so what happened from there? You you you've realised you're a decent player at fourteen. Yeah. Well, then you start to think about what you could do. You get maybe get invited on the old trip with the LTA. So I did a summer trip with Paul Delgado, Arvin Palmer. Um, yeah. That was great. That was in Germany. Played loads of junior tournaments there. Uh, and then you get the bug, don't you? You've travelled. You've seen what it's like. Uh, and then, then I started playing some sort of under-16, under-18 ITF stuff. Uh, which t takes you to obscure places, as you know. Um, I didn't do that much travelling like you guys who were doing like your eight-week stints in South America. Yeah. yeah and you, you were slightly better, I would say, than me at that time. The South, sure. America, the South America trip. I'm that was sure, a grind, huh? I'm not sure it was lucky we were spoiled brats, but it was a, a wake-up call to the world of tennis that trip was. It was... Yeah. I mean, those guys, first of all, they like to put a lot of tennis balls in the court. And that was yeah. coming straight. Streetwise street as well, huh? And exactly. And not all, not all of your balls that went in the court yeah. were called in. Um, so your court was a bit smaller and their court seemed to be a bit bigger because they wouldn't miss. It was, no, it was, it was a great experience. That those exactly. Um, yeah, I, my eyes were first opened when I went to a tournament in Finland and... It wasn't that they were unbelievable players, but there were just so many good players. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, ooh, this is going to be tough. Yeah, absolutely. And now, no. looking, back, looking forward to now, obviously you're at the very highest level of tennis and you're around that. Do you still have your ear to the ground, eye to, to, to understand what's going on at the game? And do you think it's, where do you think it's changed since we were playing as juniors? Um... Well, I think that's the style of tennis has changed dramatically. Because yeah, when we, yeah. when I was young, it was people like, well, I mean, you, you, it went into a phase of people like Sampras and even Izovic, and it was quite a boom boom game, if that makes sense. There weren't long rallies, and it changed dramatically when they slowed the courts down, slowed the balls down, and it became much more of a building game, didn't it? where you get much yeah. longer rallies, far better to watch. But we've arguably lost a bit of that variety. But I think with players like Zverev, we're maybe going back into a bit more of a power phase where players are just cranking it. Yeah, and I think, I think also, and actually I think we were, we, we had this conversation, I think when I saw you at the NTC, we were talking about the Craig O'Shaughnessy information. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the statistics do show 
that it still is it still is very much early phase of the point. You know, we yes. are having longer rallies, but the the stats do show that even your raffers of the world that are that are known as these guys who are, are better in long rallies. I heard I heard a one, and, I, and I'm sure you would have picked this one up, Will, Will as well, at the U.S. Open last year. I think it was Rafa won 90 more points than he lost through the tournament in the zero to four phase, and he actually lost eight more points than he won in five shots plus. In, in obviously everyone's talking about Rafael Nadal being this guy who, you know, Spanish grinder and, you know, he, yeah. he, whereas actually he's the master at, at his serve third ball patterns and, and really yeah. kind of understanding that. And I'm sure, I mean, that's some of the stuff, because I'm sure. Well, one, of those, one of those stats, I think Murray pulled it out of Wimbledon when he was commentating on uh, Rafa's match was if after the serve, if his second shot's a forehand, He's winning the point like ninety four percent of the time. Okay, yeah, which is frightening. Yeah, I mean, you've got to get it on his backhand. (laughs) And when he's still, that's still pretty good. And when you're in the when you're in the crowd on the ad side, trying to get his get his swinger back, there's not a whole lot of space to get onto the backhand. I wouldn't have imagined as well. Frightening. That is that's a great. Lucky enough to get picked for the Lang squad. That's right. So me, Martin Lee, Simon Pender, and Arvin Palmer were. So we got everything paid for by Lang Construction, Martin Lang. That's right. Which was amazing. So we travelled with a coach uh, for a year, basically, all paid for, just trying to get out there and try and get some points and matches under our belts. And uh, so at the end of that year someone like uh, Arv had really kicked on. He had had a great year. He was sort of up in the early hundreds by the end of that year, whereas myself was scraped points here and there. That's when I kind of thought, "Mm, maybe I need to take another avenue. And then uh, Loughborough University approached me and offered me a scholarship. Do you think, though, that was the culture at the time as well? we're, We're very similar in age. <clears throat> there was almost a there was almost a culture back there maybe it was glo- a global thing or maybe it was a British thing if you're if in your first year or two on tour you're not yeah really made, yeah, was... you've got no chance and it's not really the case is it I don't think when you look around well, I think now you look at the, the average ages of top 100 have gone up yeah haven't they so yeah people are getting making the breakthrough later but again, that ties in. I had a year of funding, and then after the year, I didn't. So, you know, so that's, you, yeah, okay. So you need funding. You need to be able to go to tournaments, and we didn't have all the PSP like we do now. Yeah, which they have now, which is much better for players and clearer. The the funding is a huge, a huge um, part of the game, obviously. Will and you know, I haven't seen you playing myself. You and. I think Dan said it as well. You, you play yourself down a, bit, a good bit there, but you, you were an excellent tennis player. Do you think if you did have the funding to continue on, you may have stayed in the game a little bit longer? Uh, yes. In hindsight, I wish I had stayed in it longer and seen what I could have done. But I still, having not done it and been around the players I've been around the last few years, 
<laughs> I still don't think I was going to get to where I would have wanted to be. I, w I think I would have got higher, but I don't think I would have got to where I wanted to be and playing the tournaments I would have wanted to play, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's interesting because obviously I was, when I was with the Zverevs, I was training every day with Sasha. So I was playing some good tennis. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, why did you give up? And I, as I've said to you, I gave him the reasons. He was going, you could have been a lot better than you were. Yeah. Whether he was made, just trying to make me feel good, who knows? <laughs> <coughs> just bothering you up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think on that one, Will, as well, I think it's, it's not... And you, you know this, we, all, we know this, but maybe people listen and don't know this. There's so many things that go into being a, a tennis player that, yes. that it's like if I, if I take my, my journey, I, I stopped playing, I only played two and a half years on the tour and there was guys, certainly on the doubles, I wouldn't say singles, I, I know I wasn't good enough singles, but doubles I, I was. Yeah, in, I would agree. In, in terms of ability, but however, in terms of that ability to stick it out and to, and to spend years and years and years grinding through and doing that, that is an unbelievable attribute and skill. Yeah. That, that's, that's plays Misha. We take Misha Zverev. I mean, I remember seeing Misha um, in, in all of the futures for quite a few years. I mean, he was, yeah. he went through, he went through the, he didn't fly through the levels. You know, no. Sasha, Sasha flew through the levels, but Misha is still going. You know, he what, must be, what, 35 now? Misha? No, no, he's, he's 32. Okay, is he... Is 33, he, maybe. Okay, he's, a, he's a, okay, an 87, 86, 87. Yeah. But, but yeah, but he, he certainly spent a good few years. It, it, that would be one example, you know, and there, yeah. is, there is these players that do it. When we spoke to Johnny Murray and Freddie Nielsen a couple of weeks ago, I mean, their story was fascinating because they, both of them said at 18, they hadn't really played any ITF juniors. And Johnny yeah. Murray at that time, I mean, you, you would have beaten Johnny Murray 6-1-6-1 at that time. And at age, age 30, because of his stickability in the game, he ended up winning Wimbledon. <laughs> or Again, it's double. <laughs> it is double. Yeah. It's... But when you were playing, yeah. was the doubles route an option? like it is now it's a clear in terms of well actually my 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 story on it i was ranked whatever 140 150 atp and kind of doubles at the time and we we just won a couple of challenges and then that that i felt it was my time to stop you know for different reasons oh, yeah. um, and i think there wasn't a doubles route at that point it wasn't it wasn't deemed to be a, 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 a mm. It was kind of like 24, 25 years old, what you're doing, you're only 700 in the world singles, kind of give up kind of thing. And, and actually two months later, Louis arrived in England, two or three months later, um, which is what, that's what it is. I don't, I don't have any, I'm quite happy with the way that my, uh, it, was, it was my time to move on into something different. But I definitely think Louis, Louis came in and then the guys that, <clears throat> obviously Jamie and, <clears throat> what those guys have done in doubles is, is is amazing, and and they've done, and then obviously that pathway has been cleared. And I think you could probably say that on the singles side as well. You know, there's Andy's come along and done what he's done. You know, in our day it was kind of Tim or nobody, and then Greg yeah. jumped from Canada to GB, and we had a second one, but nobody was really showing us that it was possible. 
and I think now with with Kyle and with Dan and then with Cameron Norrie, you know, it's it's it seems to be a much more possible route now for singles and doubles. I think for the young Brits and for varying styles because they all play so differently. Yeah, you can sort of see how you got you can have a place. Yeah, on the pro tour. Yeah, regardless of how you play. Which and certainly when I was playing, doubles wasn't really an, an option. You know, yeah. you, you were making it in singles or you gave up. And I think that's important. That's probably to bring you in on this, John, as well. In Ireland, it's, I would say there's, there's, not be, there's not been a whole lot of Irish players that have kind of led that way. Obviously, Connor, you know, you've got James McGee, that, you know, you've got these guys that have played in Grand Slams. But do you think that probably sets the sets the scene for the for the younger kids coming up that 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 we do then maybe set ceilings on on what what we can achieve? Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I mean, when Conan Island broke through and you know into top one hundred and fifty, that was huge for Irish tennis. We obviously, we're a very small island, and there's not much funding, um, you know, around. So. Um, yeah, Connor broke into top 150 and then got through the qualifying in Wimbledon. I think that was that was that was that was huge. It was great for you know the young kids of Ireland as well as well to be able to see that. And I I think having role models are massive. Like we're a big GAA country and good at good at our soccer. We've had great role models down the years like Roy Keane and and, and the lights and uh, that's I think good boxers and you know that would be on the world stage. And I think that's very important. You know, the UK has always had some, you know, top players, um, tennis players. And I think that's, that, that's really, really good to have. Um, so, I mean, Connor breaking through like that into Wimbledon and then playing Djokovic, in, uh, you know, at, at, on the Arthur Ashe Stadium. Um, that, 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 was, that was really, really good for Irish tennis. And, it, and I suppose it gives uh, uh, our wee country some hope in that, listen, you know, Maybe we can get 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 to the you know to these to these big events to the big stages, and um, because I think well you're going to touch on this now, but the, the game is so tough. We're looking at all different aspects of it, from the physical element of it to the funding part of it, to you know all the other you know parts that go into making a tennis player. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, no, I I would agree with exactly what Dan just said there. You know, I think it's 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 important to have these types of to players coming through to be able to give other people hope for sure. The only flip side is when you have people like Andy cleaning up and you're, <laughs> you're 700 in the world or whatever, everyone <laughs> thinks you're complete rubbish. Yeah, and, and I think it's, my point is, is that coming in in groups, you know, I, I would even say that a little bit with your, with your Connor example there. I think it, it, the barrier gets dropped when, when there's a group that start to come through. You know, because... Yeah, yeah. People in Britain will probably go, Cameron Norrie. What Cameron Norrie? What Cameron Norrie's been 50 in the world, 55 in the world. You know, I don't know yeah. that exact ranking now, but there's not a massive hype about that. You know, and I remember when we were younger, like a Chris Wilkinson or Danny Sapsford making second or third round of Wimbledon, it was like, Whoa, you know, yeah, and that was Jeremy Bates, fourth round. It was massive, yeah, it was. Yeah. Really, up the British tennis culture was about being good enough and uh, share a little story remember um, well obviously you know Arv Arvin Palmer but then and, and Bog, Alex Bogdanovich and yeah. then a guy called Christoph Vliegen 
and um, uh, a, a, a lad, Belgium tennis player, and then and then Peter Vessels. And yeah, we I were, remember him. We were all out yeah. for dinner in Sarajevo at a, at a challenger event. And I, I wasn't really partaking in this conversation because I was just the, the little doubles player. And, uh, but they were, they were basically having a bit of banter, taking the mick out of each other. And, and they were saying, um, Vessels was saying to Arvin Boggo, oh, you and your wild cards into Wimbledon, you know, you've got more money than us and you'll never be top 100 in the world because of that and all of this kind of stuff. And then they turned, and Vliegen was as well, and they turned to Vliegen and said, well, you've never been top 100 either. He went, oh, no, 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 I will. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> and he ended up being yeah. like 43 in the world, I think he ended up being. You know, and it was like, and what they were saying at this dinner was, in our countries, in Holland and Belgium, to, to make it as a tennis player, and maybe it's changed slightly now because the money's gone up in Grand Slam qualities, you had to be a top 100 player. Yes. So, so, so you just had to. That was, whereas in Britain, certainly in the time, it was yeah, always you- like, if you want, definitely cushioned by that wild card throughout yeah. the summer. All the grass, just, so then we all, Cup. yeah, Davis Cup. You get the one. You get about one fifty, one eighty. You get your Davis Cup money. You get your you get your Wimbledon wild card money. Yeah. You get to play that every year, and then you end up having a pretty cushy time. And, and I was definitely guilty of that in my mind about doubles. You know, okay. if I get to this level, then I yeah. get my wild card into Wimbledon, and. Okay, maybe yeah, I think I, I'd always wanted to play. I remember watching um, when I was about fourteen, watching Luke Milligan play at yeah. Junior Wimbledon, yeah, and yeah. then subsequently proper Wimbledon. Yeah, and I always said to, I was desperate to play Junior Wimbledon and obviously Wimbledon. Yeah, and so I ticked the, I ticked them both. Well, kind of both. I played Wimbledon qualies. Yeah, and uh, Junior Wimbledon in the same year. Right, and so I kind of felt like I'd almost fulfilled a certain ambition. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that you start losing a few matches and you you lose the edge, don't you? You lose that drive. Yeah. That you need to keep. Competitive edge for me, definitely. Yeah, and I think what then happens if again this is not obviously we we've we've experienced both a similar thing and then we're talking about British players here that then the rest of the year is maybe not so good. And then maybe in February, March, people start thinking, well, keep going. I could maybe get another wild card this year. And then all of a sudden that next, but I, I actually, my reflection on it, and I don't see it now, which I think is really nice because you, you, I think there's, there's such a big group of them. But my reflection on that is that Wimbledon wasn't Wimbledon's fault, but almost that Wimbledon thing was almost the devil in British tennis. Mm. I think there was a way, yeah. I think there's a lot of truth in that. But I think that by making the criteria a bit tougher now, that's taken a bit of that away. Yeah. Yeah, I think those top boys have done a good job in in kind of showing the way as well. I think there's enough of them now. So, um, university tennis. You went to to Loughborough after your first year. And and you you did that in Loughborough? Uh, Yeah. Well, but no, I didn't go straight away. I was offered a scholarship. And I had to do two A-levels in one year. Right. So they gave me a grade I had to get. And so I went to City of Westminster College in Paddington Green. And then, uh, uh, yeah, did my A-levels. Did sports studies and psychology. And then got the grades and went to Loughborough the following year. Okay. 
So that was a year of zero tennis and lots of five-a-side football. I felt like a normal kid again. Yeah, like, exactly. It was normal. That normality. Yeah. I'd see my friends, we'd play football, we'd go to the pub. It was yeah. great. Which I hadn't done. Absolutely. And, and then, really so then I went to Loughborough. Uh, studied sports, sport and exercise science with management. And which was good. I had an amazing time. I played in the team. We had a pretty good team of um, Tom Greenland, remember him? Aidan Graveson, Jim May. Right, yeah. So we had a few battles with uh, Bath, Ian Bates, and people like that. Nick Morgan. Yeah, he was yeah. there. I remember that. Yeah. So Nick's my business partner at Soto at the Academy. Uh, yeah. He's probably got a few things to say. <laughs> yeah, so it was Bath Loughborough every year. That was the big rivalry. Yeah. It was who would win. And we won a few, they won a few. So it was good. But that was good. It allowed me to sort of satisfy my love of tennis. Yeah. And we'd play the old tournaments, which uh, you previously mentioned I played were. Um, there were some weekend tournaments. It was, it was all quite relaxed. But we were training like we were pro, which yeah. was nice. You yeah. could keep that buzz going and be yeah. part of a team. And you felt like you were doing something good for your life. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Which is important. Who was the coach when you were there at Loughborough? Um, Anne Simpkin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, it kind of... She was good. But not... I think it was quite tough for her, actually, being being female and having these young guys who'd all I think all of us had been ranked and yeah. I think we were probably a bit cocksure and yeah. probably made it quite tough for her <laughs> so yeah it was a good program though we, we played a lot of tennis played loads of matches and it was good fun and it was funded by the LTA scholarship program so that was good it just gave us a chance to keep going for a bit longer yeah yeah, I thought I, I, I like I said to you at the start. Well, I remember you had really, really great memories of watching you guys playing every weekend. I was yeah. uh, at the time I was at Uric University uh, in Wales, and um, I remember you, you having many enough with Stuart Rhodes and Ian Bates. Yeah. And, um, and I remember great, great level matches, man. Yeah, I, think, I remember beating Colin Fleming. Yeah, right? and he, he was just coming sort of onto the scene as this. Oof, this kid's good yeah, yeah, and I yeah. remember being him six in the third so yeah it was good it was great fun satisfied my competitive side and as I said allowed me to uh, study at the same time and, and at, that, at that point did you have the vision of being a physio no no I had the vision of not being a tennis player <laughs> right, okay and they had offered me a way out which seemed like a really good option so right. I was seeing what I liked. Yeah. But one thing that did come out of the degree was I loved the anatomy physiology side of the degree and rejected more the psychology and biomechanicsy stuff. Yeah. So I finished that degree and did what most ex players do and coached. Went to the Harbour Club, coached right. there for five years. What did you? Yeah, and then I thought, I don't really want to be doing this when I'm 40. Wow. So I looked into physio degrees. Right, okay. 
was that's that seemed like a natural uh, progression somehow. I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe because I'd had a few injuries as a player. Yeah. And didn't feel I was treated particularly well. Yeah. And yeah, and it also, if I'm being honest, it was a seemed like a good avenue to stay in the game. Yeah. Because yeah. I would allow me to yeah use those skills in the tennis setting. Smart. Yeah, I think so. Because it definitely, my first job, which was with Ivanovic, yeah. was purely because I'd played tennis, not because of my skills as a physio. Yeah, yeah. If it was based on my skills as a physio, I wouldn't have got the job. I was yeah, yeah. Fresh, out, fresh out of uni, didn't have a clue. Yeah. And I was winging it, basically. Yeah. And she asked me back, so <laughs> I did yeah. something right. Yeah. But looking back, just like you probably do at some of your coaching when you first started, yeah. you, you know, I've, I've improved a lot, let's say that. Yeah. Learn a lot. But I think you learn so much by doing it, yeah. being on the job, being around tennis players. But I would say on that, Will, as well, and this is one thing that, you, you, again, you've got a lot of people saying, oh, you high-level players just get given jobs straight away and they do this and, and, and they do that and... and what it does, I think if you play tennis to a good level, I think it opens doors. But then, one, you have to be good at what you do. You have to back it up, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it just opens that door at first. But two, and I'm sure, I'm sure all the guys that you've worked with have enjoyed this as well, that you get the game. Well, that was my, I was going to say that. The, I think one of the massive advantages is I understand how tournaments run. I understand how... They have to wait around for matches. I understand when they need to warm up. I understand when they need to eat food, all that stuff. Yeah. I understand when to shut my mouth, when yeah. to play on my phone, all that stuff yeah. that pisses tennis players off. So, yeah, and that's quite important. So, in respect yeah. that, that was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But. So, how long were you working with Ivanovic? I did a. I did the whole grass court season. Yeah. For that was a couple of months, and then I did a few random tournaments here and there. And she wanted some physio, <laughs> so some like Madrid and a couple of others. Amazing. Yeah. And and will what like would you be able to give us kind of like a, a little bit of an insight of what like you know a typical day could look like when you're working with someone like Ivanovic? Well, I mean, <clears throat> is this at a tournament or on a? Training block, maybe on both. Like if you like, what would it look like on a training block day, and one maybe during during a match day or a match week? Well, I mean they're not actually that dissimilar, but um, uh, for a training block, you would be, they would see you first thing in the morning. You'll do lots of get the joints moving properly. Uh, maybe fire up a few muscles that need need to be uh, activated and yeah just just make sure everything's feeling good ready yeah. to go on court and then you'll hand them over to the trainer who you know do do the warm-up so it's yeah you, you just sort of the, that's one of the things I like about working with players is that you get to know their body and you know what's normal and you know what they're when they're tight when their ankles not moving properly when they've when their pelvis isn't right, all that stuff. So, 
you do that, you have your morning routine, you work on any areas that might need some work, and then you hand them over to the trainer. Trainer doesn't, tennis. Also, you, you'll do any taping that he's doing before the, before the warm-up, if they tape their ankles every day or whatever. Um, then you'll be on court with them watching, usually, because you've got to be there. But I quite like that as a tennis player, so it's not a problem. And then after the tennis or gym session, whatever it is, you'll probably see them briefly before the afternoon session, just to check everything's still okay. If they complain of anything, you'll have a look at it. And again, be there for their gym tennis. Then they'll shower, probably eat, and then you'll see them afterwards. So they're quite long days. Always, yeah. That was my always regret being a physio because it's your first and last. Yeah. You got the coach swans in, watches the warm up, and then they coach and disappear. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got to be everywhere. <laughs> and depending on the player you're working with, that can vary on how long your day is, on how respectful they are of your time. <laughs> Some players you can end up sort of doing your treatments at like 10 p.m., and others you can, others like to just get it done and get have their own time really so i've had a mixed bag you should come and work at solo tennis academy it sounds like you're having half days compared to <laughs> compared to my guys <laughs> really they're not they're not happy with me as a boss at times that we do some long we do some long hours but we, it's all because we're passionate about what we do and, and one thing that jumps to my mind will when you're um you say that you're on the court and you're in these sessions do you ever find yourself, one, formulating opinions? Yes, all the time. Yeah. And <laughs> then biting my tongue. Yeah. And two, have you got an example, don't need to give names, of, of a coach that you've maybe worked with where you've ended up getting into tennis discussion with them and maybe feeling like you've had some impact on the tennis side as well? Um, I'm trying to think. It, yes and no. It's one thing I have found with uh, when you're on the pro tour, more that more so than when you're on slightly lower levels. Yeah, is that your? It's in, it's valuable to have your role and your role defined. Yeah. So, like, whereas when I was sort of thinking I could go into physio and I've got my tennis, I've got my coaching, I've got my yeah, yeah. physical side and physio that's a great package but in reality that's more valuable in the development tour yeah, where yeah. people have less money and you know that it will benefit them to have one person who can do the lot yeah. but on the tennis tour with the big guys they want their expert physio they want their yeah. expert trainer they want their expert coach so although you'll discuss stuff I think it's quite important to understand your your scope of practice and not tread on anyone else's toes. Yeah, yeah. If they approach me and ask me, of course I'll give my opinion, but it will be uh, it'll have to come from them. Yeah, uh, just, you know, just like if uh, just like if, like working with Speedo and Kyle, we Speedo's Kyle's trainer, and we 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 talk all the time because I think there's a massive crossover. Yes, but I think there's less of a crossover with physio and coach. 
Yeah. Just like there's also a crossover between Speedo and the coach in, you know, like footwork and how he moves. Yeah, yeah. So, which can come back to me, but my opinion's less valued, I think. How much weight does has within within the team? It's quite defined roles. Quite interesting. I think it has a big voice. Yeah. If the, you know, if the player values... I think if they get a physio, then I think they obviously shows they value that aspect of yeah. their their development. So I think you have quite a big role. But as I said, what you say has to be defined to what you do, I think. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it people can get a bit pissed off. Yeah, yeah. The US Open with Sasha. And US Open, and it was when Lendl was starting to come onto the scene with Sash, and we we were in the players' lounge, and uh, Lendl goes, uh, "So, uh, who you who you playing with today before your match?" And Sash goes, "Him with Will," and uh, Lendl just looked at me in disbelief. Was like, "What?" And he just started laughing his head off and said, oh, I've got to see this. I was like, oh, no. And then I grew up. Lendl was my hero. He was the guy I, when I first started playing, I had the top with the, the swooshy face and the square with the IL. And so, you know, I was a little bit tight. And I don't know if you know the practice courts at US. They've got five main practice courts in a row with stands at the end, or one end, all along. So we walk on and we're going on to court two. And on court one's Monfils, us on two. Court three's Federer, court, Federer and team, I think. Court four was uh, Serena and court five was Rafa. So the stands were rammed. So that's just perked up my uh, uh, tightness levels a little bit. And then me and uh, Sash start hitting. And Sash doesn't start slow, he, he starts hard. So he's nailing backhands at me. And uh, I miss a forehand, maybe maybe off the frame, I can't remember. But um, I just hear someone say, Shank. I'm like, what? But I can't see Lendl anywhere. And then uh, we keep playing, Sasha's nailing it again. Another missed forehand, it's usually the forehand with me. Shank. I'm like, who is that? And it's in the crowd. And then another miss. Shanks, I turn around and I look, and in the front row, Lendl's there, sitting there looking at me like this, with his, uh, the Aussie Open hat he used to wear, with the thing that protected his neck. He's there, just looking at me, with this little grin on his face, just loving it. And every, and then my tightness levels went through the roof. And every single ball I missed, whether it was a shank or not, whether it was a forced error or not, Shank! <laughs> <laughs> we came off court after the warm up, and he was he goes shank, great warm up, and ever since then the only thing he calls me is shank. I've never been called Will again. So uh, if you had told me when I was ten that uh, I would um, be being called shank by Ivan Lendl, I probably would have taken that. <laughs> But yeah, I'd never overstepped my mark after that. I left him, the tennis was his his world. And with Lendl, if you're uh, 
unless you're good enough to win a Grand Slam, you're, he thinks you're rubbish. So uh, I'm rubbish. What, yeah. what percentage of the top 100, and this will be an interesting one actually, just for a bit of insight, what percentage of the top 100 have physios and is there more on the men's tour or the women's tour or is it equal? Roughly. If, honestly, I wouldn't be able to answer the question as a percentage. I'd have no idea. Okay. You'd be, I have no idea. But um, all the top guys do. All the yeah. top 10, top, I would say top 20 do. Yeah. And then lower down, it's a bit more sporadic. But I, 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 a good 40% maybe yeah. probably have a physio or a trainer who who's able to do some soft tissue work okay. because they've got the ATP physios there at all the tournaments. So yeah, exactly, yeah. they're great physios. But it's whether you want the inconvenience of maybe having to wait for treatment, someone who doesn't really know your body as well as someone who deals with it every day. So that's, I think it's more the convenience and having someone you trust rather than uh, physios on the tour who are great physios. I mean, it, it, it's um, certainly changed as tennis has grown and uh, from where it was, you know, in the 80s, the 90s, it's, you know, become way more physical as well, Will, um, yeah. the game. And like you talked and touched about earlier on, just with the courts and, you know, longer rallies, longer exchanges. I, I was out in the Orange Bowl a, a few few years back just with one of the players that I was working with and um, it was actually for the under-14s event but um, a lot of the top pros go out there just for some pre-season working and we happened to be on one of the courts a few courts down from Gail Monfils and um, went over nationally just to have a look at him um, playing and training but during the, during the middle of the session his physio was right in the heat of that training session like there was a physio bed out on the court he was like you know full training session but every 20 minutes he was come he was he was they were stopping the session and he was jumping on this bed he was getting hammered by the one of these guns and then your man was like giving him a full session in between the, in between points and then he was back on the court i was actually mesmerized i'd never seen anything like this before and yeah you know would that be i i i, I guess every, all, all players are different in, in the way they train, but would you be in, in, the, in the thick of it like that with any of your players? Or not I've, so not, much? I've not been... I'm always there on court and yeah. I'm available. So if, if they need anything, then I'm obviously I'll, I'll get the table out, I'll treat, I'll yeah. tape, I'll assess whatever needs doing. But from my experience, most players that are on court, they just want to train. Yeah, and the physios before and after. So far, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What one question that well, will in terms of obviously your job, I guess your job role is the success of your job is that you keep the player on the court, but it's bottom line, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and get them. Do you do you think players are overplayed? And do you, or do, or do you think the court surfaces, is there anything that if you could change something from a physio perspective on the tour, what would it be? Well, I think for people like, people like Rafa and Roger and that who 
who are so good they can pick and choose when they play. They can do their schedule exactly how they wish and get the rest they need. It's a bit different. But for players who are constantly chasing points, yeah. it can be brutal. So I think I, I do think the season's too long. Yeah. I think the off season needs to be longer. Yeah. But it's that one it's like what what do you drop? Yeah. And it's almost like they want to add tournaments rather than take them away. Yeah. So for me, it's the season's too long. I think, uh, yeah, that's the main one for me. There's just too many matches. It's up to them how many matches they play. Like you've got someone like Benoit Pair who plays like 45 weeks a year. But he's a ridiculous athlete and probably his style of play and application week in, week out is yeah. not maybe always there. I don't know. I might be being harsh. but <laughs> And then you've got players like Roger who can play like 20-odd weeks and stay in the top four. So yeah. the top players need to schedule properly, though. You have yeah. to. You have to have rest periods. You have to have periods to build the body. Yeah. So usually after we've got the off-season in November, December, you've got usually a couple of weeks after Miami. Yeah, before the clay, and then possibly after Wimbledon, before you head to the hard courts in the US. Yeah. They're your main areas to have a block and build the body so that it can be robust and stand the demands of a, the tour. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Zverev, you could see when he first came on the scene, every first two years, he would be start the year incredible. And yeah. then after Wimbledon, he would just start dropping off because he wasn't physically yeah. robust enough because yeah. he was young. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Jez Green's been building his body to the point now that he's, it's not a problem. Yeah. And he's good enough that he can plan his schedule and play the tournaments he wants to play yeah. rather than tournaments he has to play to chase points. Yeah, Andy was the same on the Andy Murray when he first came on the scene. He got a lot of stick, didn't he? That he but that was unfair stick. It was, he was eighteen. It was unfair. He was he so young. You're not, you're not close to being a no. finished athlete until you're like twenty four, twenty five. Yeah, absolutely. Really, and then there's there's obviously exceptions like Rafa, who's yeah, who's just a joke. But yeah, yeah, you you can't expect to be able to do no. a full season until you're sort of 23, 24, if you've done the right work since you were yeah. 16, 15. Yeah. yeah. What someone like Zverev's been doing. Yeah. And it shows. Yeah, and I also think it's the, the, year, the year when Andy ended up world, world number one at the end of the year and won the Davis Cup. It, in his body hasn't recovered from that, you know, and, and he, to, that just showed the rigours of the tours and, and when you, yeah. when you do push it above and beyond and obviously he started scheduling because, Extra tournaments, because he wanted to be the world number one yeah. and, and, it, and he, he's in incredible, incredible shape, you know, and obviously he's got a great team working with him. But he, he also won every week, so he was going deep and not getting any rest. It's not like he did six weeks in a row and added the odd first round in there where he could have a yeah. few days off. Yeah. He was full on. And yeah, I think you're right. That was, that was pretty critical in his, uh, the rest of his career so far. Yeah. 
Would you would you play a role with the nutritional side of things with with, with the athletes as well? Will um, water boy? <laughs> so um, I mean, no, not really. That's not my area. Uh, that would be down to either a nutritionist or in terms of things like hydration and getting the electrolytes and all that. That would, from my experience, is tend to have been with the trainer. So with okay. Sasha, it's Jez Green. Uh, with Kyle, it's um, Speedo, so they're okay. they're in charge of that, and it's and especially when you're doing a block, making sure they're getting the protein. To, yeah, <laughs> is yeah, that would be with the trainer, not me. I just and, keep them ticking over. And will from so so from because uh, obviously we knew each other a lot in the juniors, <clears throat> then I I knew that you were at Loughborough University. And then almost our paths didn't cross, you know. So no. it, I didn't. I didn't. And I remember then seeing you or hearing your name, or I actually think I saw you on telly. And I said, "That's Will, what's Will Herbert." I've not seen Will in. I've not seen <laughs> Will in, in, in wherever you might have been in Sasha's box. Brown is there. But wherever it was, but that was that was kind of my first time that I went. Oh my god! I wonder if he's coaching. I wonder. If, I didn't know exactly what you were doing. What I said about me being a bit wet behind the ears then yeah was that what how i would approach my physio has changed massively so when i when i was with her i thought i was just there to do remedial work so you know make sure she recovers yeah yeah whereas now yeah i think it's evolved much more to me trying to help their body be able to perform the prerequisites of tennis yeah and the stuff they need to do in the gym so have they got the hip mobility to do a squat or ankle mobility have they got the thoracic back extension to be able to serve without stressing the lower back or yeah. shoulder so it's changed massively how i approach my physio and my work yeah. so with her i was it was soft tissue it was stretching it was it was all quite basic yeah, yeah. useful and i still do that yeah yeah but a lot more is how you can create an athlete which is why it overlaps so much with uh the work of speedo or the trainer yeah so much i would and i, and I would imagine that re relationship's critical actually you know that yeah you're on the same page and to have the right connection similar philosophies and all of those yeah things. you're not just dealing with stiff shoulders after they serve for for yeah. a five set match you're you're trying to make them you're helping with them being robust yeah not just fighting fires after a match yeah yeah so that's, more that's, the, that's sorry more efficient yeah it's just, it's just i think it's just having a better understanding of what's required you can't you don't go into a gym and just get someone to squat until you can see that they've yeah got the hip mobility to do a squat yeah. do you and so and then you can't correct that without doing the correct necessary manual work and assessments of everything else around it yeah so there's, there's lots of you know well why can't they do that what's stopping them is it stiffness is it weakness is it fear i don't know whatever so you yeah. just so i'm definitely a bit more holistic in how i uh look at my players now yeah and how much of it is 
I've always I've always thought that a physio will tend to get to know the player, the side of the player different to maybe the tennis coach as well, because you're you're working with them in more relaxed times of the day. You know, is it you know how how much of it is being a friend, a, a confidant, a, you know that that side of things as well, which I would imagine when these players are travelling that they need as well. Is that something that you've found? Yeah, definitely. But you have to be very careful not to let that be abused because you need yeah. to keep the sort of a professional boundary. Yeah. Because well, you know what it's like. If, if, if a player feels too comfortable with you sometimes, then they can push the boundaries of how they treat you or respect you in your role. Yeah. So, yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. And you definitely have some funny conversations. But, um, yeah, and, and, and just I think just being tactile with someone creates a different relationship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Than being on the other side of a court or whatever. Yeah. Have you ever been on the receiving end? Again, I, I feel like I'm talking about Andy Murray a lot today. I don't, know, I don't know why Andy's coming to my mind so much, but I remember being in New York, um, probably 2012... 2012 US Open and Andy had just Andy had just played Feliciano Lopez and actually I was doing a little bit of commentary for Radio 5 at the time and it was I don't know if either of you can remember the match but it was it was a crazy match Louis Armstrong and Andy was he was on one that day you know he ended up Lopez actually missed a big chance to win that match but Andy did very well in his warrior way that he does but he was like Are you talking in terms of in vocal to his box. Yeah, I mean, in that day, and I remember coming afterwards, I walked into yes. the players' lounge and poor Andy Island was just like, it looked like he'd just gone 12 rounds with Mike Tyson. And yeah, he, I'm not surprised. I'm not yeah. surprised. Yeah, I've had that. I've had that. Yeah. And how do you handle that? You try not to take it personally and just know that it's just their way of dealing with whatever stress they're dealing with in the match. Yeah, I remember Sash went nuts at me once in Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was, yeah, he lost it. Did he? Yeah, but then about three points later, he turned to me and went, "So right. I was, <laughs> yeah, that's nice." Yeah, but I don't know. In hindsight, maybe I should have just kept my mouth shut. But that ties in with the knowing your your area, isn't it? It's yeah. knowing. He probably thought I'd tell him stuff that wasn't for uh, for his physio to tell him. Maybe, yeah. and that's got to be hard for you because there was actually Matt Matt Little. I listened to a fantastic pod, podcast with Chris Souter with Matt Little, and Matt talked about how he he there was one match, and I, and I guess it would have been Andy had said something to him, and he'd snap back at Andy in the box, and then. He now, before matches, what he does is he actually says, night down the night before, almost the values that were important to him that he wanted to portray in the box so that he and really prepared his mind. So, if when obviously it's a high pressured situation, you know, that it's it's yeah, intensity's high in, in that box in that moment, and he wanted to make sure his mind was prepared to be able to just stay in his zone and do what he had to do, which I thought was really interesting. That's good, yeah, and probably necessary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I've been, I'm, I'm, 
I've been lucky in that A, I'm quite relaxed. Yeah. When I'm watching a match, and B, people I've worked with have been pretty reasonable. So, yeah, I haven't had any uh, prep to do. <laughs> but it's, a, it's, a, it's a one to bear in mind in future. Yeah, we'll see. Yes. See which way Keds goes. <laughs> yeah. And if you. If you have you been on the tour since then? So you start went once you with Ivanovic. Is, is that just been you now on tour for the last ten years or so? I'm trying to think. Um, no, not really. I did that, and then well, I've been at Duke's Meadows for a lot of it, coaching as well, and okay. doing, so I've sort of combined the coaching and physio okay. at Duke's for okay. the last ten years. Right. Okay. Didn't know. But that. that's now pretty much exclusively physio. Right. There's a, the odd lesson I do with people I want yeah. to coach. Yeah. So, no is the answer to that. Yeah. But it was it was only it only really started again when I um, when I got approached to work with Sasha Zverev. Yeah. And then it became quite quite intense. Yeah. And same with Misha. Yeah. So, so how long yeah. Have you with his Zverevs. In, from start to finish, probably four or five years. Wow, okay, so a good stint. Yeah, I think so, yeah. In total, there were the odd breaks in the middle after I sort of fit, because I was with, exclusively with Sasha, and then after about a year and maybe two years with him, year and a half, I stopped because he was looking for more weeks. He wanted... He wanted 35, 40 weeks, and I was, I was just impossible. Yeah. I wasn't prepared to do that, much as I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I stopped and then went to, uh, went, carried on at Dukes. Yeah. And then I, I, but I would do the odd weeks with Sash. So, uh, you know, if he had a block and his full-time guy wasn't there, I'd go in or I'd do the odd tournament. And then I did a block with him. And Misha was there, and this was when Misha was starting to just get over his injuries. Yeah. And then Misha asked me if I'd go full time, so I did. Right. And that was really good. Really enjoyed that. That was two years with him. And then obviously he's get not the youngest player on the tour, and Kyle approached me, so I, and it just fitted better yeah. with my life and yeah. being with an English player. And, or British player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how many weeks yeah. on the road? So how many weeks on the road are you spending? At the moment, this year I think I'm going to do in total probably. Tw well, this year is a bit of a write-off, <laughs> but in in theory, I was going to do about 25 weeks with kids and yeah. probably 18 abroad. Right. Yeah. If you factor in grass courts and stuff, yeah, a lot of time at home. Yeah. So yeah, a fair amount. Yeah, when you can get that pass, you can get that pass from the missus and the kids. <laughs> Good question. No, my missus has been superb um, and very supportive, so uh, I can't complain. Uh, the kids, I get the pass because when I'm home, I'm home. Yeah, yeah. I don't try and, which is what I was saying earlier. I don't try and do too much or too much private work. Yeah. So I feel lucky that I'm at a stage where I can do. X amount of weeks and then not work the rest of the year. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, it is. And it's lovely. You know what it's like when you're home and 
Yeah. So yeah, Absolutely. the missus would probably rather I wasn't at home, but she would also rather I was happy. So it's yeah. that balance, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. And it's it's fast. It's just it's fascinating, like you say. When we again we go back to our era and everyone doing all these different things that people are doing, you know, and the fact that you've you've found you found this pathway. And I think the thing that I almost find even better is that you made that decision quite late. You know, you must have been approaching thirty when you made your decision to do that. You know, yeah, that, I was. Hat off, hat off to you for that. You know, for for recognizing your future. But I think that also stems from the fact that I'd, I'd had the time to try other things yeah, and other possible avenues. It was like, I worked in a physio private practice for two years, yeah. which had its, which was good. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed aspects of it. I learned a lot, but I wasn't very happy. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you know, and he probably knew that my boss but you know I wasn't happy I, uh, I, I wanted to be in tennis I wanted to be involved in tennis because I love it yeah yeah and this gives me a great opportunity to do that so, yeah what can we expect from you the next few years what's the plan? <laughs> Will Herbert's master plan um well I'm very happy doing what I'm doing right now I'm yeah. very happy working with uh Kyle and uh I think he's got a great team yeah which he's had together properly really since since Wimbledon last year. Yeah. So after that, he's worked so hard since then. Yeah. And it's and it start it was starting to show before the lockdown. Yeah. He did one in New York. And it was good. Franco Davine. I mean, he's a superb coach. Yeah, yeah. Great to be, have a chance to work with him. Yeah. Uh, Colin Beecher. It's great to work with him. Great guy. Good coach. Experienced. Yeah. He gets kids, yeah. you know, he's, he gets on well with kids. So uh, that's good. And Speedo's, I think, is one of the best trainers out there. So yeah, is, for yeah. tennis, for certainly. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying it. So yeah. right now, I don't, I don't, I'm not looking at anything else. Yeah. <laughs> but, that's great. you know, you know, see where it goes. I, 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 think, I, I, I think Kyle's got quite a few more years of improvement. So He does, he does definitely. He's definitely. There was a beach, I saw Beach a few weeks ago. I'm sure he won't mind me sharing this story. And I was asking him, I, you know, I'd love to talk to all you guys and gain, gain different insights. And he was talking about Franco, you know, coming into the team. And he said, do you know, he said, I've, I've learned so much. He said, he said that we were doing, you know, one session. And you know what, Beach is like, those listening that know Colin Beach, absolute legend of the game, British game, and, you know, got so much <laughs> But he's very intense. And he was saying, yeah. I've been like teaching Kedders to be really intense on the forehand and you know, get come on, get around that forehand. Come on, really you know, in, a, in a real in a real I was I know what you're gonna say. I was on the block when that happened. Uh, it there? was so funny. It was Franco. like his whole world had been turned around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Frank, who'd worked with Fognini previously, hadn't he? I think it was just like no 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 no, we just need to need to relax man tranquilo man tranquilo <laughs> energy and then you know and then he, he met he said you know he spent some good time on, on on some of the shots he said it was amazing but i think the fact it takes someone like colin and that's what i love about tennis as well what he's colin must have just turned 50 maybe or approaching that 
and being being around the block yet still learning do you know what i mean and yeah. that, that's where this sport's like it's an amazing it's so multifaceted there's so yeah. many things you can learn yeah yeah same with physio i'm yeah. not even close to knowing what i need to know or want to know yeah yeah and it will and i'll die not knowing it but um you know that's if it'd be pretty boring if you didn't know everything if you did know everything so yeah no absolutely yeah and one one last question before we do a very quick quick fire before you can before we'll we'll, uh, we'll not take up any more of your time um in terms of physios on the tour is yeah. there a camaraderie between you or is it is it a is it protective that everyone has their their own way of working and people aren't necessarily sharing information how how's that um that's a good question i think in general the physios are pretty open and like talking about stuff yeah maybe you know whether it be problems they've encountered and different ways to solve it yeah. Or yeah, I mean, like the the guy Hugo Graville, who uh, works with Sasha now. He uh, he's been great with me. He's taught yeah. me a load of stuff. Yeah. Because he's more osteopathic, so he's he's taught me a load of his techniques and. Yeah. So yeah, there there is definite scope thing on the tour. People are protective, but at the same time, you've you've seen it. One week you see a player with that coach and then the next week that coach is with someone else and then the next four months later he's working with another player and so it's quite similar with trainers same with physios but I do find with physios we tend to stay for longer with a player yeah. for some reason yeah. I think if you, tr- if you trust your physio you're, you're happy yeah absolutely whereas relationships can break down a bit more easily with uh, with coaches obviously because there's yeah. the results yeah well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's 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 amazing, isn't it? You know, well, well I, you know. Yeah, I haven't encountered too many assholes. Yeah, <laughs> they're pretty. But, I think, but that's also what you're probably reflecting in your personality as well. You're a chilled, chilled, pretty chilled out dude, easy to get on with. You know, I'm sure if you're a little had a little bit more of a, the the personality that gets into people, then you know, you maybe you maybe get the arsehole back. Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe my, I need to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> a little reflection from the podcast. A little, little quick fire. Yeah, go on. Nothing too dramatic. Um, stretching or rolling? Can't say both. Got to give us one answer. Um, oh, jeez. Uh, neither. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, mobility work. It's all right. about mobility, yeah. Right. Okay. So, for example, uh, you need to be able to control your joints. And stretching passively doesn't do that. You need the prerequisite um, mobility, but you need to be able to control your joints. Okay. Okay. So, and if you're controlling your joint properly, your your muscles are balanced. If that makes sense. Yeah. So you don't. You shouldn't need to roll all the time. Yeah. You're rolling, you're just pounding your body. You're just pounding the muscle. Yeah. And your body works better when it's when it works in balance. So if your joints working in balance, you don't get the tightness in the areas that you get it. You get the tightness when your body's trying to stabilize. Yeah. So I would say joint mobility work. 
<laughs> tell, tell you what, if that wasn't such a good answer, I would have had to tell you off for it not being a quick fire answer. You know, seeing as it was such a, that was like, like genuinely, that's a, it's a quality answer. And I'm sure that's amazing insight to the point that I have to ask another question on that. Is that, is that something that is realistic for players to do without having the luxury of a physio with them all the time? Yeah, you can, you yeah. can have a program. Yeah. You can have a mobility program You've, with your daily mobility exercises. Yeah. For your shoulders, for your thoracic back, for your lumbar spine, your lower back, your hips, knees, ankles. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, 100%. I have started doing it with younger people I work with. Yeah. Who you can sort of, who I think will get more benefit long term from it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think if you, if you're, and I think it will add to the length of career. I honestly think if someone like Andy was doing that earlier, well, maybe not Andy is a good example, but I don't know. I think some players would have yeah. had longer careers. Yeah. If they'd uh, had healthier joints. Great, great quick fire answer. Um, <laughs> I'm being genuine. That wasn't, the sarc- that wasn't being sarcastic. Cardio or weights? You couldn't have said neither again, didn't Cardio or weights? Oh, jeez. Weights. ATP or Davis Cup? ATP or Davis Cup? Yeah, ATP Cup or Davis Cup. I'm a traditionalist of Davis Cup. I grew up with Davis Cup. I love it. So Amazing. Indoors or outdoors? Outdoors. Clear or hard? Personally, to play on or yeah. to watch? But come on, what's your quick fire? What, oh. do, you, what do you feel? Oh. You feel the hard? Yeah, I was useless on clay. <laughs> ice, ice or heat? Ice. Well, it depends on the problem, but generally, ice works. <laughs> and one thing that you would change about tennis? Ooh. one thing I'd change about tennis. I would make the season shorter perfect on that note let's make this podcast a little bit shorter as well um thanks a lot will you've been no a, worries you've been an absolute start. enjoyed it will herbert thanks a million man unbelievable to see you again and well Thank done you. on your career man well done yes. on your career good time Magic. mate you're doing a good job out there ah uh, keeping it keeping love, her, her late man love seeing the passion thanks Will a big thank you to Will for that great insightful chat and once again showing one of the many routes that you can go through your tennis it really is a vehicle that takes you through into whatever direction you want to go please subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on any of the up and coming podcasts like share let's get the podcast out there for everyone to listen continue energizing people educating people and entertaining people i'm dan kiernan my co-host john mcgann a big thank you from control the corona balls <laughs>